Hello and welcome to The Long View. We're your hosts. I'm Jane Wassum. And I'm Tim Baumgartner. And today we are interviewing our friend, Chris Smith, uh, who is from Fayetteville, Georgia. He went to Georgia Tech and graduated with a degree in business administration. He also went to Emmanuel and um, got an MDiv there, and his emphasis was in church history in 2004. That was in 2004. And today he lives in Noonan, Georgia, and uh, owns his own business, which is called 212 Planning, which he'll tell us a little bit more about later. Um, And it's a financial um, planning and management business um, where he helps to advise people and individuals and families and businesses um, with financial planning. So we are excited that he is with us today um, to hear a little bit more about him and um, his life and ministry. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you guys for uh, letting me be a part of this. Sure, we're glad to have you. And uh, we all, all three of us apparently go way back. And so, uh, you know, Chris uh, and Jane live down the street from each other or not too far away from each other. And uh, um, Chris and I spent some time in college together, uh, Atlanta Christian College, uh, studying Greek together, and uh, and then went to seminary together. We graduated the same year uh, at Emmanuel. So it's kind of fun to revisit a little bit. Yeah, he and I went to the same church. We grew up at the same church. So that is fun. We have um, memories, or I do at least, because he was a little, just a little bit older than just me. A little just bit. a little bit, not much. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a big reunion, so that's kind of fun. So Chris, we're excited to have you with us, uh, and we'd love for you just to kind of give a little bit of kind of the hit the highlights, kind of what uh, your life has been like, what you've been up to, and kind of talk a little bit about your ministry over the last, you know, 20 years or so, and, uh, and just kind of give us a, a kind of brief rundown of what you've been up to. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like 20 years, but it does not. I guess, no. I guess it has been. <laughs> um, uh, first thing I wanted to make sure that I mentioned is uh, as kids, I knew Jane as Beth. She went by. Yeah. Because um, my I, name I is Jane is Elizabeth. Name, which is the middle name. Yeah, Jane Elizabeth. So, yeah. Um, appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to just kind of download some of this. It's, it's been, you know, I took a few notes. Uh, it's good sometimes to take a step back and just kind of reflect. Um, how in the world you got here, you know, Definitely. <laughs> I am married. That's, uh, Dana is my wife. Um, that's probably the most, um, you know, significant part of my life. Obviously everybody would probably say, say similar. We've been married for, uh, almost 11 years. So I got married later in life. She had three kids. So I have three stepchildren and then we have two kids together. So we have five total. We recently sold our house. We're building a smaller house. We're downsizing <laughs> a little bit because the three older ones, the third one is about to graduate from high school. So um, we're kind of minimalist. We like to think of ourselves that way. And so uh, we just, we had a foreclosure, ton of square footage. We were trying to house seven people and for a while of business. And so we just really want to kind of, kind of dial things down a little bit. So Jane mentioned that I own, uh, my own financial planning practice. I've always kind of, I went to Georgia Tech and I studied finance, you know, always thought kind of in the back of my mind, I might in, end up in ministry. And that had a lot to do with the influences in my life growing up in church and, uh, you know, youth ministers and then uh, campus ministers. Uh, eventually, I was really involved in a campus ministry at Tech, became really tight, ended up working there full time for a year before I made the decision to go to Emmanuel. Uh, but then when I finished that year long internship, had a summer off between uh, between that experience and school, and then I did it. So I did a. It was really more than an internship. They hired a financial planning firm, a large firm. They hired me to come in and manage a special project during the summer, uh, and I actually worked with three other and kind of managed three other team members. One of whom is in full time ministry now, uh, and 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 two the other two work still work for that firm called Ronald Blue and Company. I've always kind of had a foot in both worlds. Uh, and even while I was in school at Emanuel, I did some part-time work, yeah. not just in ministry, but I worked I remember, for yeah. Northwestern Mutual doing some financial stuff. So I always had like a, a, a competing interest in both and, you know, never necessarily felt like they should be competing, but, uh, you know, at some point you kind of got to choose who's going to pay you kind of thing. So I've kind of vacillated, so to speak, back and forth between those two worlds or had a foot in both worlds. Since I've, since I've graduated from college in 99, 
I spent three years at a manual and I've probably spent 20 years since then in, um, in the workplace. Five of those were in full-time ministry and now about 15 of those have been in the financial industry. The five years that I did spend in ministry were spent in campus ministry. Uh, again, I worked at Georgia Tech. I spent some time working at Auburn and then filled in for a while at uh, Appalachian State at their campus ministry. Okay. That was a great experience. Uh, and then I spent time in church planting. I worked for two different church planting uh, or two different church plants. Uh, one is still in existence in Atlanta. It's called Atlanta Christian Church now. And then uh, another church we tried to start in a different part of the city. It, it kind of uh, it kind of sunsetted during the financial crisis at the beginning okay. of 2008. What church was that? What was it called? Uh, it's called Phoenix Church. Phoenix, that's uh, right. Okay. And it was a little bit different concept. We actually were, we were attempting to start that church by starting a business. Okay. Uh, we launched a coffee roastery. Yes. That's and interestingly right. enough, the, this, the business part of it was fairly successful, <laughs> but we, we still depended on some support uh, from other churches to, to keep the, the actual church uh, venture okay. going. And we had a core group of people. We didn't really know what was happening at the time of the financial crisis started to hit you know, real estate started to collapse and people stopped giving. And then, yep. you know, it wasn't until later, several months later that we realized what was happening. We kind of had to sunset that. Uh, I kind of looked around, you know, Hey, what, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Yeah. Personally. And I joked that I jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. Because <laughs> Get I out knew, of church planning and into the financial planning. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was the worst, thing I <laughs> the worst transition I could have made. <laughs> But um, I was hired as an analyst for the firm that I'd worked for a couple of years before and somehow kept, kept that job and became very good at it. Uh, had someone hire me away at a larger firm to work with clients on his team. And then after several years, uh, I realized this is something that I, I just wanted to do on my own. Mm-hmm. And so about four years ago, it was February of 2018. So we're coming up on four years. I stuck my neck out, started my own practice. And it's been one of the best decisions that I've ever made vocationally. And, you know, by my standards, you know, it's been modestly successful. By my standards, it's been wildly successful. (laughs) Uh, It's freed me up in a lot of ways. Um, You know, when you, when you run your own business, you have to, you know, you do everything. It's like, you're, you know, in my line of work, you're managing the money, you're bringing in clients and you're cleaning the toilets. You know, it's like you're doing all of the above when you're caught up or when you're ahead or whatever, you have lots of flexibility and free time. Uh, <clears throat> something that I've always been passionate. I'm getting to the answer to your question. Promise, <laughs> but something I've always been kind of passionate about is, you know, what a lot of people call discipleship or one-on-one discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess I would call it, you know, more like spiritual direction or, you know, just investing one-on-one in people. Uh, and have played around with that for a number of years and tried to get involved in that at various churches that, that we were involved with. But in the last four or five years, I've been freed up to kind of pursue that, you know, as a passion. Right. I'm, I'm both being directed or mentored and doing the same for a handful of younger, younger men. So uh, that's been, and in the process, I've had an opportunity to kind of develop, you know, almost kind of like, I hate to call it like a curriculum, mm-hmm. but basically like, you know, a track to run on. You know, here's yeah. some things that I, I wish somebody at a very young age had come in and sort of programmatically said, hey, these are some things you really need to be paying attention to and things that you need to revisit in the course of your life. I call them rhythms. Yeah. You know, just things that you get in the habit of doing and you come back to them, cycle back through them and refresh them. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's kind of what I've become passionate about ministry wise. And it's very it's been a very non-traditional path, obviously. So. Tell us a little bit about kind of that period of time where you chose to go to seminary or chose um, to kind of take that turn or that path and do um, ministry, maybe the campus ministry, but just some of that time period um, and and how you would talk about choosing those things. Uh, that was a long time ago, so yeah. I remember <laughs> it as best I can. But as I recall, you know, again, sort of having a variety of interests you know, when you sit down as a young person and decide what I want to do with my life, you obviously want to do something that you enjoy. You know, a lot of people too, uh, or a few people, I wish more people did this, but you know, you want to be kind of intentional about it. You know, you kind of take a step back and you ask like, what is the most important thing in my life? Yeah. You know, what's something that, uh, 
that I'm very passionate about and that I've already been doing or working on that I, I've not gotten paid for, you know? <laughs> um, and some great advice that I got was at that point in my life, you know, I think it was, um, I was trying to remember this this morning. It, it was Bob Hole that shared this with me. We had lots of conversations. I worked for him when I was at Emmanuel. I had lots of conversations about vocation and like what the heck I was going to do. <laughs> uh, I think it was Fred that Frederick Beekner that he was paraphrasing. He basically said, look, vocation is, it's where your deepest passions and the world's deepest needs, where they sort of intersect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's, that's, right. that's a fantastic definition mm-hmm. for vocation. And that stuck with me for, you know, ever since, um, maybe a, a, a less philosophical voice in my life, but you know, equally as wise said, basically, you just want to do something that you would do for free because okay. if it's, it, if you do ministry, it, it may be almost for free anyway. <laughs> yeah, get, sometimes, sometimes it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kind of fake thinking factored in a lot. And in the early days, you know, obviously the most important thing in my life was my relationship with Christ and, and with uh, the community of Christians that kind of raised me and brought me along. And so that seemed like a good reason for me, you know, to pursue full-time ministry. And I thought it might, when I first, um, when I first made the decision to go to seminary, to go to Emmanuel, I thought I'd probably end up in some kind of campus ministry. What I learned over the years, I'm an introvert. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not the dog and pony show, you know, like I'm not the, I don't think that comes as a surprise to most folks, Chris, that know you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love people. Sure. You know, I love people. But I also like to get away from them sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not because I don't love them. It's just because that's the way I'm wired. You know, there, there, are, there are a variety of personalities that end up in ministry. But, you know, for campus ministry, you know, my younger brother spent time in campus ministry yeah. and is in youth ministry. And he's a lot more extroverted. Yeah, Mark is way I. more extroverted. Yeah. So he's, he's a better fit for that. But so, you know, I got to seminary. Um, it, you know, I became very interested in church planting and, and a particular aspect of that that I think I really liked was sort of the business, mm. you know, yeah. it, it's a, it's a startup, you know, so there's an administrative component to that form of ministry that was very, it's very necessary and it was very appealing to me. The first church plan I ended up in, I was, I was an associate, but I was essentially functioning as kind of, you know, what we would call today kind of an executive right. pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how much of this we want to get into, but, you know, Atlanta Christian Church, they just posted, was it on Instagram, you said, Tim? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, they just posted a video that was taken of our launch, um, our launch location, which had been, it was a former strip club <laughs> called the Gold Club in Atlanta. The guy who ran it got arrested for racketeering and they shut the building down and it just, and some investor bought it and it was just sitting there. Yeah. And so we, for the first six months of the church's existence, we met in that building and we, we went and renovated it you know, that, that building was sort of on like a, a red flag list uh, yeah. at the city of Atlanta. And so I can't tell you how many trips I made to the Bureau of Buildings in downtown Atlanta wow. to talk with, because it was on the, is on the, like sort of the watch list, so to speak. It's like, you couldn't do anything in that building without talking to the, the director of the Bureau of Buildings. Wow. That's challenging. And so I spent hours waiting to talk to him <laughs> <laughs> and quite a bit of time talking to him about what we were wanting to do. He, he wasn't, he, he wasn't easy. Sure. That that was something that traditional ministry did, you know, you don't learn that yeah. prepare me for. <laughs> no, so. not at all. We didn't have a class in that. Nope. And if we did, it's <laughs> probably <laughs> one that I would have skipped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't need that. I'll never need that yeah. part. And then, uh, years later. So I guess, uh, you, know, you kind of wove in there a little bit about, so it was sort of, you know, Beekner's definition about what vocation is. Um, and I'm, you know, for somebody who has been kind of in that traditional, like, campus ministry, church ministry role, I mean, it wasn't really traditional church ministry, uh, very different church planting, but, um, and then have gone into, um, you know, sort of the financial world and, and in a different way, how has, has that sort of changed your view of, of what vocation is or what, how you would define calling or purpose uh, in yeah. the midst of all of that? So, yeah, that's a great question. And... Um, uh, I mean, I can go so many different directions with this, but maybe I'll start with, uh, you know, as, as part of what I'm trying to do it, to do with spiritual direction and kind of part of the, like, you know, the program or the track that I'm trying to build out. Um, there's an assessment component to that. You know, I, like I try to have tiers where, 
you know, if I'm walking through that with somebody, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to walk through, Hey, here's some of the fundamentals of the Christian faith and of our walk in the Christian faith. And then that sort of graduates to, okay, what are some, maybe some outer disciplines, some things like some externals, things that people can see like fruits in your life that people need to be seeing if, if you're walking the Christian walk. Um, and then that moves into like more missional and like the kind of the top tier is what I call a vocational tier. And so some, some things that I try to walk through with, with people in that are like, there's an assessment component, like taking a step back and just being honest with yourself about like, who am I? What's my personality? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? And then there's sort of an affirmation component where, Hey, you need to have somebody in your life on a continual basis who's speaking into it and saying, it's, you know, it's one thing, you know, we don't have enough of this in our culture. It's kind of like, it's, there's a little bit this is not politically correct to say, but there's a little bit too much of this, like you can be anything you want or you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I understand what, where that's coming from, but, but there should be people in your life who say, Hey, that's great that you want to be a comedian. <clears throat> you <laughs> but know, you're not that funny, <laughs> but you're not that funny. That's right. <laughs> Some honest you know, people in our lives mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's right. You know, people that know you well, that you know, well, and that you trust and all that kind of stuff. Surprise to provide some accountability, but I call it affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, uh, another thing we talk about is purpose. And I use a passage from James. If you guys don't mind, I'll read it. Sure. It's the only thing I really pulled up that just kind of prepared for this morning because I anticipated this kind of question. But it's the passage in James 1, it's 22 through 27. Uh, and he's talking about do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And then two more verses uh, that tie in those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and the religion is worthless religion that God, our father accepts as pure and flawless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that second part seems unrelated, but essentially what he's saying is in the first part, he said, you gotta, you know, be honest with yourself <laughs> about who you are, what you're supposed to be doing. And then the second part of that seems to say like, Hey, our purpose, our vocation, our calling is, is it's really simpler than we try to make it. And it's really more practical. Okay. And, you know, I, I alluded to the fact that our culture, you know, is sort of this, Hey, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I encounter a lot of younger people coming out of ministry who are just like extremely frustrated because they think, they think it's supposed to look like this, or they think life is supposed to look like this. And, you know, as, as often happens in the church, they feel you know, kind of, kind of dumped on or whatever. They feel discouraged or whatever. And a lot of that's justified because I know that stuff happens. Yeah. But some of it is that, um, and I'll speak for myself, like, you know, we're kind of narcissistic, you know, it's kind of like we conceive of ministry is like, we're, we're sort of the center of the drama and this is what we're called to do. And this is what we're going to do. And everything's going to fall into place. And God's going to use us in this way. And I guess what I've learned and what I've realized is, I mean, he, first of all, he's the center of the drama, not us. And vocation is really finding a place. This is almost cliche, but I'm not sure we really think this way. It's finding a place in, in his drama where we fit and where we, you know, we can support, you know, we're supporting actors, so to speak. We're just, we're just kind of full of ourselves sometimes, you know, we just want to kind of be about, you know, about our thing. But what James is really reminding of, reminding us of in the second part here is religion or our Christian faith or our walk, whether he uses the term religion that we don't use that word much yeah. anymore, but true religion, true faith, a true walk is really pretty simple. It's, it's just doing the things that is taking care of people. It's, um, you know, there's a moral component to it. And, you know, if I entirely lived up to that moral component, right. yeah. no, I haven't. But, mm-hmm. but we forget that sometimes there is a moral component to our calling and to our vocation. And there's sort of a practical component, you know, if somebody needs help, we help them, you know, uh, if somebody's in need, we help them. And so when you look at vocation that way, it really doesn't matter as much whether I'm getting paid by a church or whether I'm getting paid by, 
you know, a large corporation or whether I'm getting paid, you know, I have a small business. So really you, there's nothing that says that you can't do all of those things no matter who's paying you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of times we have built up in our head is the ministry is this big calling thing. And that can be, you know, where you talked about earlier about how, um, it can be inspiring. Like you can be whatever you want. You can be anything that you want. And that can be like kind of open up your world as a young adult. That's like, wow, I can be whatever I want. But in some ways, that's also kind of very oppressive and feel, it can feel very overwhelming to feel mm-hmm. like you can be anything you want. It's like, but I have no idea. And so to be able to do anything, to pick out of all of the things that are available, it seems like too much for me to do. And, right. I, and then they can, can, can be paralyzed and not be able to move forward and not know what it is. But you make a great point that if we can bring it practical and just if we're just serving the people that are in front of us, doing That's the thing right. that is right here in front of us right now, that then we can, and by doing that over and over again, then you begin to see how uh, God can open things up. And so you can follow a path. We'll kind of open itself up a little bit more in one direction or and maybe in another direction. But mm-hmm. if you're constantly day in and day out being faithful and serving God, and um, what is set before you, then as you look back, then you realize kind of what your vocation has become. And it's not this big lofty thing. It's just, hey, it really is. It's something that's simpler. And we do make it out to be something more complicated. Uh, that's right. We just got to one, one step at a time. That's right. And, you know, the other thing is you almost need, uh, and this, you know, back in the old days, I did a lot of reading on, you know, business's mission. I don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah. sort of mm-hmm. niche. Yes. Uh, it's sort of the idea of like, and we used it when we started in the second church plant that I was part of sort of this idea of using leveraging business as a, almost like a metaphor as a, as a, um, like contextualizing, you know, what we were trying to do a way to, to speak to speak the language of a community of people. Uh, you know, when you have a coffee roastery and it's in downtown Atlanta and, it's all fair trade organic coffee and you have a bizarre subset of, of that community coming in to buy it because Uh that's attractive to them. Some very unique relationships and conversations and that, that I wish had, you know, could have really gone somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting. Um, a lot did come out of that, but obviously we wish it had last had been more permanent, but, uh, it's interesting really to kind of look around the city and look around other parts of the country where other people have tried things like that. Yeah. I guess maybe the timing wasn't right for us, but anyway, all that stuff to say, you know, you almost need an excuse to get in front of people, (laughs) you know, to either share the gospel with them or to just take care of them. You know, it's, it's almost like you need, you, you need a way to get your foot in the door. And, uh, it's been amazing to me in my line of work, you know, when you sit down and talk with somebody about their finances, whether they're really good and they're trying to figure out, Hey, what do I need to do with this extra or they're really bad and they're trying to figure out like, how do I get how, by? How do I, how do I improve this? You know, how do I get, I dig out of this. People are incredibly attentive, <laughs> you know? And so you have a wide open door, you know, to sort of, to sort of speak into their lives. If you're successful at helping them, you know, move the ball down the field to use a cheesy sports analogy. Uh, if you're successful, that earns you credibility and you're able to speak other things into their life. And, that can certainly happen in the context of vocational church ministry. It can, because when people come to you, they expect you to have spiritual answers. Sure. You know, yep. um, you know they're, they're sort of open to that, but sometimes you find yourself kind of sitting around waiting for those people to come to you, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just sort of the nature of it, but it's great to have a, a way to kind of go out and go, go after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, call it a back door or call it a bait switch. I mean, whatever you want to call it. Um, it just opens lots of doors. And I, I've grown to really appreciate that. And I think I surprise people, too, sometimes because they don't realize I have ministry and ministry training yeah. in my background. Yeah. And really, I tell, I tell my family, I tell my kids, I tell my wife, you know, like my friends, one of the greatest things about Emmanuel was it, it just kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of to step aside a little bit and get quiet and just really kind of reflect, kind of unpack what I said I believed and and really kind of, you know, consolidate it and, and, and make sure it was what I believed. You know, it, it was just a great experience for me. 
And I, I would recommend the experience, maybe not three years. I'm not sure yeah. that's practical. It's a long time. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Yeah. But a couple of years, a year, a couple of years, three years, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's not for everybody, but it's for more than just people who are planning to go in vocational ministry. Like Definitely. It, it was, it was, it was incredible for my faith. I think that kind of leads into just the next question that I was thinking about was just, so the way you're talking about it, it does kind of broadens the way we think and talk about vocation, right. And, and ministry. And so the fact that that's shifted for you over the years, like you're the way you define and talk about vocation. Um, how do you think that has informed like your decisions about, you know, ministry or vocation or your job or things like that? Like just your shift and change of that definition and way of thinking about vocation and calling. Mm -hmm. How's that, you know, shed light on or informed your decisions? That's a tough question to answer. Uh, and I'll just try to answer it as honestly as I can. So one one thing I struggle with is I, I was in full-time ministry. I have been ordained. And uh, I do think, uh, you know, if Paul Blowers ever listened to this, he, you know, <laughs> he would appreciate hearing me say that there, there is something, I'll use the word sacramental, about ordination, uh, you know, about the offices, or the, the orders, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. There's something sacramental about the call to ministry. You know, I take that ordination very seriously. And, and even though I am vocationally living it out, you know, in my own mind, I, I don't want to make an excuse. You know, I, I do, right. I am ordained for vocational ministry and I'm not doing it. So you know, there's the honesty right there. Yeah. And so that's something I struggle with continually. It, you know, if you ask me, hey, Chris, do you think you'll ever end up again in full-time ministry? I think I probably will not, at least not in a traditional sense. You know, like one of the things that that Dana and I are working on right now is we're actually having church in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, some of that was sort of accelerated or catalyzed by what we just went through culturally. Mm-hmm where, you know, we were discouraged from meeting in large groups and that yeah. kind of thing. I don't think we're completely done with that. And, um, doesn't look that way. You know, there just, there are a lot of cultural dynamics that to me suggest that, that maybe what I call small church might be a fit moving forward. There might be something to that model. And so we're kind of playing around with it. Uh, and in that sense, I am in a very small way, you know, honoring my, coordination or honoring my vocational call. I guess the reason I bring that up is because I do really want to elevate a vocational calling to ministry. And a lot of people who will be listening to this, there'll be more people listening to this probably and more people that you have as guests that are in full-time vocational ministry than not. And so um, I not only have a passion for doing everything I can to support those people, but I also, I highly value um, and, and I take very seriously that calling. So, uh, I mean, to the point where I continue to struggle with, with it myself, am I fulfilling it? Am I living up to it? I'm kind of talking in a circle here, but I think you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, the, the calling the ministry to vocational full-time ministry is very real. Yeah. And so, uh, and I feel like God honors it and we desperately need, you know, solid people you know, in that, in those kinds of roles. So like when I say, you know, it's hard to work for a church and sometimes you feel like you're kind of sitting around waiting for people to come to you. You know, it's good yeah. to sometimes have an excuse to go to out. Go out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With people. yeah. Um, and that's still true, but there's still something to say for, you know, even for the wider community to know there's this place that when it all falls apart, I can go and I can find somebody they're hanging out who is, who's made it their life calling you know, to speak into my life spiritually. You, know, you just can't replace that. Right. You know, there's that, that there's always going to be a role for that. So I don't know if I'm sort yeah. of answering the question. Yeah. I was going to say earlier, Chris, like when you and I met a few years ago and you sort of explained to me uh, your kind of your philosophy or the theology behind the way that you do financial planning, I would argue that you are honoring that ordination and the ministry that you do. Like if it felt to me very much like this is more of, discipleship that has some finances involved um, than it is a financial planning 
job. And then I do some kind of personal life coaching on the side. It felt very much kind of like congruent with an approach to how am I a faithful follower of Christ? How can I do that well? And then you have this particular emphasis that you place on the finances. So, I mean, it feels to me very much like you are living that out. And so I don't know that there is this, I know that you feel like you've got this tension, like, well, you know, I was ordained to do this church work, but I'm doing this other thing. I, I would say that I think that you are serving the church in, the, in a very real and tangible way. I appreciate that, you know, and, and I, and I kind of feel that way. Uh, in one sense, I feel like God's kind of got me right where he, he wants me. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. he's using me and he's definitely using me in that way. And it definitely is ministry. But, but there's no danger of me, you know, becoming self-inflated because in the back of my mind, I realize <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, on a practical daily level, I'm doing ministry, but, but there's still this tension, you know, like he's got me, like he just kind of got me where exactly where he wants me to like. I think it's really helpful because I think the reality is, I mean, especially for a lot of people, um, both in seminary, coming out of seminary too. Um, and not that everyone listening, you know, is going to seminary or, or has, but Still, that's part of what we're talking about, you know, is ministry and vocation and um, following that calling. And um, but it looks so different and plays out so different in all of our lives. And, you know, even just it's interesting to me, too, as you're talking about that, like one thought I had was just how interesting it is that, you know, part of my struggle is almost kind of the opposite of of that um, in the sense that. I'm sort of currently doing vocational pastoral kind of type ministry work, but yet for a variety of reasons, not haven't met kind of these requirements, like I'm not able to be ordained basically. So it's almost kind of like I'm in that sort of role, but not in, you know, kind of officially right. called mm-hmm. that. So it's just interesting to me how kind of like, <laughs> you know, yeah, different. I mean, it's really ironic. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But just kind of broadening some of that, you know, way that we kind of see that or try to process or, you know, kind of understand how God is using us or working or kind of, you know, leading us in different ways, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, What uh, hopes, let's kind of take a little bit of a turn and just as you think about hopes and dreams um, that you have for work uh, vocation, just how you, you know, see that and as you dream and kind of hope for things to come, uh, what are some things that are part of your hopes? One of the things that Dan and I talk about a lot, you know, just kind of bringing it down to a personal level, you know, we're extremely focused on the kids, you know, their spiritual walk and are we doing everything we possibly can, you know, to help them grow, to lead them, to lead them by example, to prepare for them, prepare them for the world that they're about to walk out into. Uh, the older kids, the, the one that they've already walked out into or and they're kind of, you know, getting to know for the first time, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of our conversations are surround like, you know, in, in the church, in our churches, are we, are, are we not in our family, but in the wider church, are we doing the things for our kids that we need to be doing and prepare them for that? We've had some interaction with several churches and I, you know, I have family that work in church and are passionate about the church and, you know, work with youth. And we've had a couple of experiences taking the kids to church and felt like, feel even feeling like maybe they were entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what, what did they, you know, what, what, what are they learning or, you know, where are we take, where are we taking them as a church and that kind of thing. And so we've gotten more serious at home about pouring into them at home, you know, making sure, you know, we, we joke, or I joke, you know, there's some, there are a handful of things that I'm passionate about. So okay. when the kids leave my house, I want them to know how to manage money. <laughs> yes. uh, let me, let me say it in this order. I want them to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're they're going to decide whether they accept him or not, but I want them to know him. I want them to know how to manage their money. <laughs> you know, there are a couple of skills I want, I want them to be able to do, you know, to have, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I want them to be able to cook a meal and, change a battery in their car and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Girls and boys. Thank you. Yep. And I want them to know history. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, yeah. Like, because most people in our culture in our world don't, yes. you know, Amen. historically ignorant. 
So yes, um, we, we've tried to be very intentional about making sure that we're, you know, they're not going to learn that by osmosis. Like we have to yeah. have to Gotta have that. a plan. Yeah. And, and I wish that I'm not saying that there aren't churches out there doing this, but as a general rule, I, I worry that we're not doing that as a church, you know, mm-hmm. with the kids. So back to the hopes and dreams, you know, we're, we're really hopeful that this, like this small church kind of concept that we're dabbling with, that it will mature and maybe we'll get some other people, you know, involved, you know, kind of in that network. You know, we were part of another church, uh, yeah. Grace Fellowship, that was doing something very serious, similar, uh, and kind of, we were almost kind of in residence there, we felt like, to get a feel for how they were doing it. And, you know, so we borrowed a lot from that. Uh, I think it'd be awesome if some other folks were doing that kind of thing and we were loosely connected. Those seem like unrelated things, you know, small church and kind of what's going on with our kids, but we see them, uh, this is where the discipleship thing kind of comes in. Right. Too. You know, when you're in a setting like that where, uh, you know, we visited a church on Sunday morning, a friend of ours was baptized, so we visited the church. The senior pastor wasn't speaking and he spotted us. He wanted us to show us, he wanted to show us around the building and mm. the new children's wing and all of this kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mean to diminish that. Like that's mm-hmm. a cool, that's a cool milestone for them. And, but at the same time, if I'm just honest, I could really care less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't mean to downplay that. Like having a space for church is very important, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's, it's not as important as like the meat and potatoes. So when we, you talked earlier a little bit about rhythms and about how Mm -hmm. disciplines and that kind of stuff. And so um, one of the things that uh, we are interested in talking about is in that discernment process, uh, decision-making, how do you uh, use those rhythms or those disciplines to help you and to help people that you work with um, to make decisions well so that they know that they're following where God is leading? So what kind of... uh, yeah. You know, helps have you had over the years that you've used? Like, what, what's your parameters or your method for uh-huh. helping you discern and make those big decisions in life? Which does uh, kind of describe spiritual direction a little bit. I mean, that's one yeah. way of mm-hmm. kind of talking about that. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a tough question to answer. Uh, and even as I answer it, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's something I faithfully live out and model. <laughs> you know. Sure. But, uh, so <clears throat> one thing I've learned just from what I do is something that's, that's extremely helpful to people is to be able to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all love to talk about ourselves, <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> I, I love to get, you know, a couple in a room or, you know, an individual in a room and just get them talking about themselves. And sometimes it starts, you know, with money. And then the next thing you know, they're talking about this and they're talking about this. And um, they're saying things they don't even realize that they're saying. And I tell them my job really is just to be, you know, they want to come in and say, Hey, here are our financial problems or our goals. And we want you to tell us what to do, you know? And I quickly disappoint them and say, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, yeah. my job is basically to be a mirror and I'm just going to show you like everything that you're telling me. Yeah. And, and I'm going to try to help you kind of organize it and synthesize it and, and show you, it kind of comes back to what we read from James kind right. of help you see your true self, like see the reflection, not just where you are, but you know, who you want to be. And I feel like that's helpful to people, you know, whether you're talking about money or, you know, whether we're talking about spiritual direction, like having somebody in your life, you know, be that mirror for you, mm-hmm. but also hold it up for you from time to time. And say, yeah. remember, this is what no, you said. No, you don't yeah. need to go down this road because this is who you told me yes, mm-hmm. you were and who you want to be. And I believed you. And so if that's really who you were and who you want to be, then you can't, that's not consistent with what you, what you told me. Now, if they want to reject that, you know, give me the finger, so to speak, and that's their <laughs> prerogative. But, um, <clears throat> but that's, first of all, that's, that's not easy to do. Like, you know, as someone who's providing financial planning or financial counseling or somebody who's providing spiritual direction, and you guys have done a good bit of that. So, you know, that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And it requires a lot of prayer. Um, but to answer your question, like, I know I have to have somebody like that in my life. It may not be one person, you right. know, universally, but in financial matters, there's got to be somebody that I'm kind of like, this hold the mirror up for me. It, you know, in some circles, we call it accountability, but really all they're saying is, this is who you told me you were, right. yeah. who you want to be. And I believed you. So unless you, you know, unless you change what you con, believe, yeah. That's right. 
then this is where this is what you need to do. You know, so I feel like, and do I have folks in my life like that? Generally, I do. Uh, I could I could always I could always use some extra help. You know, um, but you know, like I, I lead a couple of guys through. I guess we'll call it spiritual direction. And then there's a guy that I meet with twice a month and I have been for four or five years. Who's, who's great at that. You know, he knows me well enough. has known me most of my life actually. And he's not a pastor. Like he's vocationally does something completely different, but you know, he's, he's good at saying, no, you know, maybe you don't want to handle it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe that's not consistent with who I know you are, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, you you bring up a good point that you know discernment and decision making stuff isn't something that um, uh, should be isolating. We should we need to involve the people of God in that, and so to have those people that are close to us in different areas of our life that that can help hold us accountable or help uh, remind us of the things that we said are important and valuable to us, and that know us well enough to be able to uh, to guide us and lead us um, just by way of remembrance. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that we, so often we, we do isolate ourselves because we know the, decision that we're, the decisions that we're making aren't right and they're not in, um, in concert with who we are or who we have been or who we want to be. And so we, we have a tendency to um, not allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough with, with other humans uh, to let them right. into our lives in that way. Absolutely. I think, or we might face outside limitations so sometimes they're internal but sometimes they're external and outside kind of limitations and have to kind of figure out the discernment process with that um which is also i mean equally as important to have people to kind of be able to work through that and you know get um encouragement from or help you kind of see you know more about your true self or where how to kind of navigate that part you know as well because I just think about some of those things like, um, you know, that you've, that you've mentioned. Um, but, of course, for me, I think about women in ministry, too. But some of those external kind of um, challenges or limitations where even if you have a certain kind of gifting or calling, um, but there might be outside kind of limitations, yeah. you know, how mm-hmm. do you um, respond to that, make decisions, you know, about vocation and, and work and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah. If I could just jump in Jane and kind of speak to that a little bit, you know, this is something that I've learned from not being in vocational ministry. Again, like you, you know, I've explained how I feel about vocational ministry and how highly I esteem it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important that people who feel called to that right. are validated and affirmed in that in the right ways. Right. So, um, I feel like we have a responsibility as a church and as a community to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, one thing I've learned from kind of having steered away from vocational ministry and, and trying as a lay person to be involved in certain ministries within the church. And, you know, some of just back up a little bit, some of, some of my work on the spiritual direction of discipleship and just kind of putting together my ideas of how it should be done and all that kind of stuff sort of, you know, you hear people say, well, don't reinvent the wheel. And, you know, certainly I'm trying to leverage everything I can, but I've had a lot of frustration within the established church, like trying to do this and it just, and just having some weird resistance to it. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, church is saying, yeah, we want this. We, you know, we want this, we need this. And Hey, will you work on it, working on it, you know, you know, developing it, bringing it to them, being passionate about it. And well, let's just wait or, not sure that's exactly what we're looking for. We're taking a different, you know, strategic turn. You know, our strategic emphasis has changed or whatever. One thing that I've learned is um, if there's something you're called to do, and especially in this, in this, you know, I'll say in this country, you know, if there's something that you're called to do and God's behind it, there's, there's not anybody who can stop you from doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And um, it's, it can be discouraging to not receive validation from those that you desperately want to receive it from, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, and you don't want to be a total maverick, you know, like there's something to say for what, how am I wanting to say that there's something to say for sort of like bringing yourself under, you know, spiritual authority and kind of respecting that and Mm -hmm. kind of waiting it out. 
But at some point, it's kind of like, it's so obvious to me that I'm supposed to do this. It's so obvious to me that God wants it done. It's so obvious to me that not, not a lot of other people are doing it. It's just like, I'm, I'm tired of waiting, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going. If I need to be corrected, God will correct me, you know? So as an encouragement to, you know, to you or anybody else who may be listening to this, it, you know, it's, I, I realize that the validation of the affirmation is important, but there's really not anything that can stop you if God's behind it. And I sound that sounds a little preachy or maybe a little <laughs> trite or flippant or whatever, but it's really not. That, yeah. That's been my experience. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't mean that it will be easy though. That's right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's great, you know, encouragement. And that really kind of leads into, I mean, we wanted to ask you just for what encouragement you would have for others who, um, who are, you know, either in a process of discernment or um, just as they are staying open to God's leading in their life. Um, what kinds of, you know, encouragement do you have for others? Yeah, that's certainly one thing. Uh, you know, I alluded earlier in the conversation, I alluded to the fact that we're all narcissists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good to be reminded. I mean, that's a little harsh. <laughs> yeah. That's a little harsh, and I'm, I'm saying that myself. But as Americans, as American right. Christians, we are. Yes. You know, yeah. So, um, you know, one of the great things too, about like not working for a church and providing spiritual direction for somebody is like, if I get a little like testy with somebody or, <laughs> you know, a little, a little harsh and I got it, I can't get fired. You know? right, right. <laughs> like, um, you know, I'm not worried about like who's given, who's given money and I don't want to, you know, right. run off yes. uh-huh. like yeah. yeah. But in all seriousness, like sometimes we just need somebody in our life. Um, and somebody who listened to this may need somebody to just look at them and say, like, you know, quit being such a, you know, quit being such a narcissist, you know, like this is, uh, and I'm not speaking that to anybody in particular. I'm just saying, like, I hear so many like younger people, oh, well, I wanted to do this and somebody poo pooed on it or, you know, I'm, and to clarify, like, I'm, I'm not not in vocational ministry because somebody ticked me off, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or because, sure. because I got my feelings hurt or whatever. I mean, I certainly had that stuff happen but I'm not in it because I felt led in another direction. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, frankly, because like it just worked like it, and, you know, God, God made it work. And whereas he did make some, it's sometimes maybe I'm just so stubborn. He has to speak to me by like, I'm not going to let this work and I'm going <laughs> to let this be wildly successful. Just kind of steer you in that direction. But, but I think that we need, I think we need thicker skin. You know, if there's something that we want to do and we feel called to do, um, you know, my brother would tell you a lot of other people say, if you haven't been fired from at least two ministry jobs, then you're not doing a good job. <laughs> you're not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> there's just so many people in ministry, like with inferiority complexes. And they just, if you get in there and do a job, they just can't take it. You know, like there's just so many personalities and it, it's just one of those fields. It's one of those vocations where you're going to get fired, you know, at least once for doing the right thing. Like, so we just got to have thicker skin and, um, you know, and trust our calling, you know, and trust what, what it is we're supposed to do. Uh, I worry that, you know, we need, we need strong people, you know, not just, not necessarily just strong personalities, but just like inwardly strong people, well-trained, you know, convicted people in ministry. And we just don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like people just get run off too often. Sometimes people allow themselves to be run off too often. You know, again, even as even as I'm not in vocational ministry and as I've sort of like left, like I, I really have a passion for trying to keep people in it. Um, because frankly, I don't want to go to church and listen to a lousy sermon every Sunday. You know? <laughs> well, like, I, I think that it then it is, uh, you know, there is some obligation on the part of of all of us to encourage people that are in ministry that are struggling and, you know, to mm-hmm. help help them, you know, just like we, you know, we're each year we're called to remember our baptism, you know, to remember your calling and your, your ordination and your purpose. Uh, yes, it's hard. Yes, it is difficult, but also this is the right thing to do. And so uh, maybe we just need more folks in the church to be able to step up and, and uh, take that on to help and support and encourage ministers in their role, because it is not easy. Um, yeah, it's not. You can have the thick skin to a point, but sometimes it's just people are just really mean. Yeah, people are nasty. Yeah, yeah. it can be real bad. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate you guys doing things like this, and I appreciate what you know Ministry Resource Center is doing. You know, with the mentorship and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Just trying to do more things to kind of 
pour into up and coming ministers, encourage them, keep them locked, keep them locked in. I, I feel like this is a part of it. Yeah. Um, Our hope is, you know, to be able to share those stories because in particularly like ones like yours, where it's not a traditional ministry, um, mm-hmm. it looks different. And so just to be able to know what has been done, what is out there and how have people made it? Uh, how have they, um, what sacrifices have they made and how have they been encouraged? And, you know, still kind of stayed on that course. And so uh, we learn by, by stories, and it's mm-hmm. helpful to hear them. Well, well Chris, uh, we appreciate your time and uh, just being open with us. And uh, you know, follow a few rabbit trails. Those are always fun, too. Yeah. Um, and some soapboxes along the way. Those are great. Um, but we, we like to, to close our time uh, with uh, a poem or a prayer. And, and so today, uh, one of my favorite poems which in some ways is appropriate. It's about the village blacksmith and uh, by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And so uh, uh, getting back to your etymological roots there for your smith. Um, but I think it's an important one. Yeah, and we didn't pick it because of that. We didn't. But, <laughs> but it we just did kinda... actually see the line that says, the smith, a mighty man, is he. So, I mean, just listen hey, to yeah. that line, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think it fits a lot with our conversation as well today. Yeah. So um, it's a little bit on the long side, but I think it's good. All right. It's called The Village Blacksmith by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smith stands. The smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long. His face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat. He earns whate'er he can, and looks the whole works in the face, for he owes not any man. Week in, week out, from morn till night, you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measure beat and slow, like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. And children coming home from school look in at the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor. He goes on Sunday to the church and sits among his boys. He hears the parson pray and preach. He hears his daughter's voice singing in the village choir, and it makes his heart rejoice. It sounds to him like her mother's voice singing in paradise. He needs must think of her once more, how in the grave she lies, and with his hard rough hand he wipes a tear, out of his eyes. Toiling, rejoicing, sorrowing, onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin, each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done, his urn a night's repose. Thanks, thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson thou hast taught. Thus at the flaming forge of life our fortunes must be wrought. Thus on its sounding anvil shaped each burning deed and thought. Amen. Well, hopefully, uh, now when I read this poem, I'll think about you, Chris. <laughs> Smith, the mighty man is I he. I know, it's that yeah, mighty man with big brawny arms. There you go, long black flocks, <laughs> uh, lots of hair. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> well, again, Chris, thanks for hanging out with us and chatting. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Appreciate you asking me to do this. Well, it's been great. It's been really fun. Um, always appreciate talking to you and, and hearing from you. Definitely looked up to you um, over the years, too. So thanks for talking with us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Sure. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon.